Praise the Lord, everybody, that can hear my voice. We're going to get started here in the sanctuary in another minute or two. I'll let everyone get situated and get comfortable. Smile at somebody. Smile at somebody you don't know. Stand up, shake their hand, something. Acknowledge them in the house of the Lord. Alrighty. How many of y'all are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You ready, Daniel? All right. So today is going to be slightly different. I'm a little nervous myself about what I'm about to do here, but I feel like it's going to be all right. Everybody say, it's going to be all right. All right. Before I get started, I do want to give honor where honor is due. And I give honor to our pastor and our first lady. They are not here today, but I still honor them nevertheless. Nevertheless, sorry. I hope they're enjoying their time away um, on their vacation. They went away to celebrate their anniversary. And if it's your first time here, which I'm looking across the room, Many of you, it's not your first time here. Most of y'all have been here. But you know, there's nothing like our pastor when he preaches. Amen. Nothing like our pastor. Yes, he's a fantastic preacher, well-sought-after preacher. But he's just an amazing man of God, a great example to follow. And uh, I give honor to him and Sister Valerie today and hope they enjoy their time away. Hope they're refreshed, strengthened, and they come back on fire for God. So I said, I said a little bit different this morning, and as, as I uh, worked on my notes last night, I asked God in prayer the best way to introduce this lesson. You guys already know that the lesson we're going to talk about today, which is the Holy Ghost, and I've known for a while now that this is what I was going to teach on, and I was, and I am, I believe, fully prepared and I could just jump into the content right away, but something just didn't sit right with me as I was putting this together. You know, this lesson on the Holy Ghost, it's not a topic that I really wrestle with. Um, if you guys have ever told someone about the Holy Ghost, it's not to be overcomplicated. Hopefully I don't overcomplicate it this morning, but I know it's not easy to stand in front of you. If you guys want to take the microphone from me and try it, I wish you luck. Um, but I am and still am confident that the content, the information, the scripture, etc., it is sufficient this morning. I believe it's also right on time. And every other class that is having a class this morning, they're also learning about the Holy Ghost. So we're all getting the same message. But I still feel that God was leading me in a slightly different direction to start. So I'm just going to obey where the Lord was leading me and begin it the way that 
I feel like he told me to begin it. And so last week we talked about questions, right? And so I'm going to start by asking you all some questions. And hopefully you'll participate by the raising of the hand. But my first question this morning is, how many of you want to go to heaven? Boom. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. That's what I tell my daughter when she's struggling with something. I'm like, five plus five, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You got it. Second question this morning is, how many of you want salvation? Okay. For the most part, everybody's hand was up. Sister Lawrence, I'm looking at you. I don't, there you go. All right. Hey, hey. So here is where I'm going to step out on a limb. All right. Do I have a volunteer or two or three? Do I have a volunteer? Anybody? Be careful what, you, what, you, what you're signing up for. But I, I, I want someone to answer a question for me. Is that all right? It's not a trick question. Who's willing to answer the question? I'm looking. I see you, Sister Carol. I'll come. All right, I see you, Brother Wagner. That's perfect. Let's go to Brother Wagner first as I... Step out on a limb here. How many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody? How many of you want salvation? Here's the question. I'm stepping out on a limb. Brother Wagner, what is salvation? The repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. What do you guys think about that answer? Pretty good. Pretty good. Anything else you want to add? Of the Holy Love. Fantastic. Anything else? Come to church. Come to church. All right. Sister Carol, I saw you over here. I'm coming. All right. I'm coming. I'm coming. Let me speed up because we only got so much time in Sunday school. Here we go. Same question. Sister Carol, what is salvation? Accepting Jesus as your Savior and being a, a good Christian, following the rules of the Bible. Anything else you want to add? No, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Do I have one more volunteer that would like to answer the question? Sister Lawrence, I'm coming. Sister Lawrence, what is salvation? of being saved from your sins uh, and making it to heaven. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> Not right now. All right. Give it up for all our volunteers this morning. Thank you, Brother Wagner. Thank you, Sister, Sister Simpkins back there. And thank you, Sister Lawrence. So, how many of you know what salvation is? You can raise your hand. Do you know what it is? If you don't know what it is, that's okay, too. That's why we're here, right? So let me clarify the definition of salvation, all right? Salvation, the definition, it is the process of saving a human being from their sin and the consequences of their sin, which include death and separation from God. That is the definition of salvation, all right? Again, it is the process or the saving of 
a human being from sin and the consequences of that sin, which we know include death and separation from God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is, it is death. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, the very first act of sin, they were separated from God. They were put out of the garden. They were separated from God. And so salvation, which we also call deliverance, redemption, those are kind of words we can use interchangeably with salvation. It is the process to correct all of that, what happened in the garden. And so the reason why I feel God was leading me to start here is because sometimes we don't even understand why we need to be saved. We don't even understand why we need to make it to heaven because that's the better place to go. If we got it between heaven or hell, heaven is the better option, right? So that's the default answer. But sometimes we don't even understand why we need salvation. Yes, it's good that we want it, but sometimes we simply miss the revelation of why it's so important in the first place. And sometimes as churchgoers, we like to throw out these terms. I'm saved. I am. I have salvation. We like to throw out these phrases and terms because they sound good. And we just religiously, if that's a word, religialize. No, that's not a word. We just make it sound good, you know, because it's a church term that we use. But some of us don't even understand what it means, but we use it anyhow. And it's important that we understand, again, why we need salvation. It's because there's nothing we can do on our own to pay or pay the penalty of the sin that we have in our life. There's nothing that we can do on our own. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. Because, as I talked to some of my best friends about this yesterday, we aren't truly saved until we stand on streets of gold and we see the Lord face to face. Until then, we are in the process of being saved with confidence and obedience to the word of God and, most importantly, faith. Yes, I can hold my head high and say that I'm going to be saved. And I can even speak by faith and say that I am saved. But the process isn't complete until I see God face to face in glory. The simple truth is that all of us are unable to get salvation on our own means. And I spoke about this last week as we talked about baptism. There is nothing you and I can do to overcome sin. Not with our own hands. Not with our own abilities. Not using our brain power or intellect. You know, sometimes I think I'm smart, but I ain't smart enough to overcome sin. You could do good deeds after good deeds after good deeds for an entire lifetime. And it still wouldn't be enough. We need salvation. And we need the plan, the process that God put in place for salvation that is found in the word of God. We need God and ultimately his plan to make it to heaven, right? In the steps of salvation, as Brother Wagner pointed out this morning, they're not meant to be difficult for us or shrouded in mystery. You guys are looking like why I keep 
touching my glasses. Last week, my glasses were broken. So every time I looked down, they were falling. And I was like telling my wife that I'm going to have to keep doing this because it's habit as is now. But they're not falling. They're fixed. Just stop touching your face, Trump. Anyway, right, the, the steps of salvation, they're not meant to be difficult. You know, they're not. If you've ever done a Bible study with someone, this is usually, we always start with the plan of salvation, right? Because it's a popular place to start. And it's really the steps of salvation are right in front of us. Our theme scripture we like to use as a church is Acts 2.38, right? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost. There it is, right in front of us. When we talk about the plan of salvation, the process of being saved from our sin. The first step is repentance. And again, I'm rehashing some of what we learned over the last couple of weeks. But understand, repentance is not just a confession to God about what we've done wrong, a confession about the sin, but it's an attitude, it's a lifestyle decision to turn away from that sin. The second step, which we went over last week, was water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ by immersion. You got to go all the way under. And back up. There's no sprinkling. There's no pouring. Right? And this is where we get the remission for our sins. This is where the debt is paid. Where we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our life. And this morning, now we turn our attention to the third step of this plan of salvation, which is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, now we'll kind of jump into the normal, how we do this. But turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, you guys mostly know this, was fully come, they were all, in one, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. That's kind of where we're going to hang out this morning. And I got, I have a lot of scripture, but I'm going to keep referring back to what we just read. And so, just like last week, I want to ask us some questions. How important is the Holy Ghost? And who can have the Holy Ghost? And is it for us today, or was it just for those folks in Acts chapter 2? Was it just for the apostles? And obviously, the question is, what is the Holy Ghost? I have some quotes here. Oswald Chambers was a, a famous, he originally was, uh, a Baptist minister, and he uh, got the revelation of the truth, and he says, there is one thing we cannot imitate. We cannot imitate being full of the Holy Ghost. You cannot fake it. Eventually, and most of us know this, it's not in my notes, but there is such a thing as gift of the Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians, I believe, again, it's not in front of me, but love, joy, peace, patience goodness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Those things are the fruit 
of if you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. If you don't have it, trust me, the fruit is a lot different. You get angry. And we're human. It happens. We get angry. We don't have patience. Hello, somebody. We don't have temperance, meekness. Our attitude is vastly different when we're not full of the Holy Ghost versus when we're full of the Holy Ghost. When someone comes in here for the first time and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, it's like no one can do no wrong because their eyes have been opened. Their life has been changed. But if you're not having the Holy Ghost, you have a vastly different outlook on what is going on around you. Another quotation, uh, Samuel Chadwick, he was a Methodist uh, preacher, I believe, and, and eventually he got the revelation of the oneness of God. And he said this about Acts chapter 2 to the church, this day of Pentecost brought light and power and joy. There came to each person there illumination of the mind, assurance of heart, intensity of love, fullness of power, exuberance of joy. No one needed to ask if they had received the Holy Ghost because the fire that they received was self-evident. And so was the power that they received. And so starting this morning is, what is the Holy Ghost? What is it? If you know what it is, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, raise your hand. Is there anything like it? No, there is not. This world is searching for it. This world desperately needs it. And we all have access to it, as I'm going to get into in my notes. But John the Baptist was quoted in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about this. He said that Jesus, who would come after him, was coming to baptize them with Holy Ghost and with fire. That's what he said. Matthew 3 and 11 says, I indeed, this is John talking, baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, talking about Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you're taking notes, Mark 1 and 8 says the same thing. Luke 3 and 16 also has the record of John saying that. And John chapter 1 and verse 33 also says that. But Jesus, in Jesus' own words, he said that the Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, it is the power of God in us. If I could sum it up in any way, I would say the Holy Ghost is the power of God, the Spirit of God, on the inside of us. Acts 1 and 8, we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But Jesus is, is I mean, we read Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, but before that, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is telling his Disciples, that you shall receive power. It's not a maybe. When the Holy Ghost comes, it's not a maybe. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The simplest answer to what the Holy Ghost is, is it is the power of God and the spirit of the Almighty God living on the inside of us. And man, I feel like deviating from my notes right here just a little bit. But there is something different when the power of God is on the inside of you. 
you don't look at things the same way that you used to. There's so many testimonies, even in here, about how God, you know, got rid of addictions like that. Took away desires that were not pure and holy just like that. Simply because you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's a reason for that. God and sin can't coexist together. So when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, some of those things in your life have got to go. Some of those things in your life have got to be replaced by something better. And so when the power of God begins to come inside of you, it's natural that you begin to change. You don't hang out with the same people that you used to hang out with. And it's okay. Some people say, well, what's different with you? You can tell them who it is and what it is that's different about you. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. That's why there's a difference. Another uh, analogy or words that Jesus spoke about what the Holy Spirit is, in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. And Jesus says unto her that whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give them, talking about the Holy Ghost, right? The water that I shall give them shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is saying that the Holy Ghost is like a river of living water. How many know that when you think about that, man, I, man, I want to deviate from my notes so bad, but I need to stay right here. But I, I want to say this point. How many know that, and I think we had, man, I think it was Brother Josh Johnson's dad that was here, talked about how what happens when water stands still? It gets stagnant. And when we talk about a well of living water, Right? That water is on the move. It's, it's doing something. It's changing something. It's moving through something. That's why you don't find a swamp outside where we live at in Chesapeake Bay because the water is moving. And I can go on and on right here, but I'm going to stay in my notes. But John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible, verse 8 says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Y'all knew how much revelation was in this verse right here. But you can't tell where it coming from and where it's going, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. These are Jesus' words of what the Holy Ghost is like. It is the power of God on the inside of us. It is like a river of living water, and it's like being born again. We talk about being born of the Spirit, which is the topic this week. And if you want a little bit of commentary on verse 8, let me see if I can find it in my notes real quick. I did have this in my notes. Let me fast forward to it. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, is compared to the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth, so 
so is everyone, the commentator is saying, that is born of the Spirit. The word pneuma is the word we find for that word spirit in the Bible. And it signifies both, it's interpreted as both the wind and the spirit. And so if you imagine with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 on this day of Pentecost, the spirit came upon the apostles in a rushing mighty wind. And this wind, this influence of the wind, right, it influences the hearts of every sinner. And it's compared, if you look at Ezekiel 37 and 9, Ezekiel talks about the breathing of the wind, the influence of the wind. And so this comparison here is used to show that the spirit has its own will. How many know you ever prayed that prayer, not my will, Lord, but your will be done? And if you're full of the Holy Ghost, right, that means it's his will that we want. And so when you look outside and you see the wind blowing, who in the world controls that wind? How do we know that wind is going to blow that tree over there? But then if we look around, it seems like, man, the wind is also blowing over here. And we don't know where in the world it's coming from. It seems to have a will and a mind of its own. The Bible saying, so is the spirit of God. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And the evidence, as we're going to talk about later, is that we hear the sound of the wind. But it's only the master that is in control of the wind. God is the one that directs the wind, just like he directs us in the Holy Ghost. You don't have control of that thing in your mouth when the Holy Ghost begins to move. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Amen. Let me jump back to where I was in my notes here. Lastly, we said that the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about, is the power within us. Jesus said it's like a river of living water. He also compares it to being born of the Spirit. That's what the Bible says, the Holy Ghost process or, or what it is when Jesus says that if you are not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And lastly, many of us know this description of the Holy Ghost. It is a comforter. It is a comforter. John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He says in verse 16 and 17, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and speaking of the Holy Ghost shall be in you. The Holy Ghost is a comforter. If you dig into the meaning behind what Jesus is telling his disciples here, he's saying that he would send his spirit that would not just comfort them, but be an advocate for them. Many times, and probably more often than not, when you look at the disciples' relationship with Jesus Christ, they leaned on Jesus to speak. And that makes some sense, right, when you think about uh, how many times the disciples were attacked by the Pharisees? How many times the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the time tried to trap, trap Jesus with their words? Can you imagine being in, in front of everyone, as I just put uh, Brother Wagner and Sister Carol and 
and uh, Sister Lawrence in front of everyone by having them answer questions. Can you imagine the disciples having to stand up in front of everyone when the Pharisees were attacking them and having them speak? So many times they relied on Jesus to do all the talking. And why not? Jesus is God. Let him do his thing. He can do it way better than I can, right? But the disciples leaned on him, not just when the crowd was antagonizing them or talking about them, but they leaned on him when they were having a rough day. They leaned on Jesus when they were in sorrow, when they were going through things. They leaned on the Lord. And here he's telling his disciples that, you know, although physically I'm going to go up in glory, I'm going to be in, in, in heaven here very soon, but I'm going to send my spirit to comfort you. It's going to fulfill that same role. When you needed to lean on me when there was people attacking you, when you needed to lean on me when you were sad, when you needed to lean on me when you were going through a tough time in your life, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send my spirit that will fill the same role. Does that make sense? That's the purpose and, and, and power of the comforter in our life. He's not just going to speak to them like Jesus spoke to them, but he's going to be in them. Even when no one else hears the voice of God, they're still going to be able to hear and know what God wants them to do in that situation. How many of you never knew what you were going to say until you had to say it, and the Holy Ghost is the one that gave you the words? How many have ever prayed for someone in the altar, and you're like, God, I don't know what to say. But as soon as you lay hands on them and you let the Holy Ghost flow through you, he gives you the words to say, and he gives you the wisdom of what to speak in that moment. That is the power of the comforter in the Holy Ghost. So what is, next question as we go along on this questionnaire this morning, what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? How do you know that you have the Holy Ghost, right? Some of us say we got it, but I don't know when I look at you. I don't know. Some of that I know because of the fruit of that Holy Ghost. If it ain't love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, Against such there's no law, I doubt that it's the Holy Ghost. It's some fleshliness that's coming out of you rather than the Spirit of God. But I digress. When we talk about the evidence of the Holy Ghost, in our main text, we read about how on the day of Pentecost, they all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance when they all received the Holy Ghost. And if you search the Word of God, God's Word is very precise and giving us example after example of this phenomenal sign of speaking in tongues as evidence that you have received the Holy Ghost. And I want to stress right here that speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. I think people confuse this sometimes. Speaking in tongues is just the evidence that you have the Holy Ghost. Just like my wedding band on my finger is not my marriage. It is the evidence that I am married. If I take it off, it's going to be a problem between me and my wife. Because the world needs to know that I'm taken, that I am married, right? And so many people get nervous or they freak out the first time you step foot in the Pentecostal apostolic church. When you see someone speaking in tongues, it can be a little nerve-wracking. What in the world is going on in here, right? How many ever, when you first step foot in the church, you're like, what in the world is going on, right? 
But I just want to simply point out that when you speak in tongues, it is an outward expression so that the people around you know what's going on. So that they know that you're full of the Holy Ghost. With that said, there is nothing like speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God is all over you. If you've never spoken in tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance, then you are truly missing out. You don't have to leave here today without the Holy Ghost if you want it. God can fill you right now. We don't have to wait if you have faith to believe it. Amen? Millions of people across this world have experienced this glorious, ecstatic utterance when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us that it is a gift. It is something that you can't fake it and make on your own. Because, like I said, there will be fruit. There will be an evidence on the other side of it of whether you have it or not. You might can fool me, but you won't fool God. And sooner or later, the truth of it will come out. But I want to tell somebody that there is nothing like speaking in tongues. When God flows through you, he takes control of that unruly member in your body. Some of us, we say things and we're like, if I could just pull back what I said, because I didn't mean it how it came out. Anybody? But when you get the Holy Ghost, you got to surrender that thing to God. And he begins to take control of that, right? That is the evidence, and there's nothing like it when you are full of the Holy Ghost. Because I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know. And I'm glad that I don't know. Because it's the glory of God that is coming out of me, not me. As long as I'm out of the way and God, you're in control, that's all that matters to me. But if you look at the example we get on that day of Pentecost, the disciples were speaking in tongues. And everyone that had come for that day were hearing them speak in their own tongue. They were hearing different languages that they grew up hearing. They're hearing, you know, you got people from the island of Crete. You got all these different Persians and Medes and, and all these different languages are being spoken. And everybody's going, what in the world is going on? Because what they're hearing is the wonderful works of God being professed over and over and over. And if it was up to me, I know this mouth at all times isn't going to speak wonderful things of God. Sometimes I make mistakes, and what comes out of this mouth is something that shouldn't come out of this mouth. But when I let God take control of it, the only thing that's coming out are wonderful works of God. And so moving on this morning as we continue to ask questions, the next question is very simple. Who can have the Holy Ghost? Who can have it? What's the answer? Everybody. Look at your neighbor. Tell him you. You. You can have it. You need it. You should want it. Right? We're so much better off without it. I don't know about you, but I can't live without the Holy Ghost. When I do things my own way, all that happens is not good stuff. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's the best we can do. But when I allow God to live inside of me and take control and I listen to his voice, man, life is so much better. It's not, it's not easy sometimes. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We're still going to go through things. But if you have the Holy Ghost on, in the inside of you, your response to what you're going through is a lot different 
than if you don't have the Holy Ghost. So who can have it? God made conditional promises to those who want the Holy Ghost. And yes, the Holy Ghost is free. You don't have to pay to get it. But there are some conditions that God put in place for those who want it. When these biblical conditions are met, anybody can have it. The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons, but will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. In Luke 11 and 13, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit or give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him for it? All you got to do is ask him for it. And a lot of times we're scared to ask. It's really what it comes down to. I don't know if I want it, God. Well, if you don't know if you want it, you ain't going to get it. You got to want it. You got to ask him for it. And so I got a bunch of scripture here. I'm not going to read them all for the sake of time. But if you're looking at the following scriptures for what the Bible says about who can have the Holy Ghost, one of the scriptures that the Apostle Peter talks about on the day of Pentecost was that this uh, was spoken of by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And, and what we read about in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God's promise of the Holy Ghost is to all flesh. Every son, every daughter, servants, handmaidens, it's for everyone. John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and 11 tells us that he did not exclude anyone in his preaching about Holy Ghost baptism, right? We read it earlier that someone's coming after me who's latched I'm not worthy to latch, right? Talking about Jesus. He's going to baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. Peter declared on that day of Pentecost that it was for everyone that he was speaking to and to any that are far off. Talking about you and me some 2,000 years later. We're afar off from that day, but God is still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Amen? Acts 5 and 32 says that God gives the, gives the Holy Ghost, here's one of those conditions, to them that obey him. There's no way you're going to be able to get the Holy Ghost by disobeying God. No way. There's no way you're going to get it. Just like if you're a parent, there's no way you're going to give something to that person, to that child that is disobeying you. You're just not. You need them to get on your level or it ain't happening. But you must obey what the scripture says. Acts, Acts chapter 8 goes on to say that the Sumerians and Ethiopians and, and the people of Astus received the Holy Ghost also. Cornelius, later on in the book of Acts, a Gentile received the Holy Ghost. Acts 10 and 35 says, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Speaking of the Holy Ghost. And then way down in Revelation chapter 5 and 9, it goes on to say that thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Talking about this Holy Ghost is for every person that wants it. Everyone. So who can have the Holy Ghost? Everyone. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, happy or sad. None of that matters. Only thing that matters is faith, first of all, and obedience to the word of God. And you got to ask him for it. All right. The next question this morning is a popular question 
that many in our world ask, and that is, is the Holy Ghost optional? Is it an option? We talked about last week, baptism is not an option. The Holy Ghost also is not an option. The Acts chapter 2 account of the day of Pentecost is a very important one. That's why I had that as the main scripture that we read. And it's no coincidence that the very first spirit outpouring happened when the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, was fully come. The Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Ingathering, was a harvest celebration. It was called the Day of First Fruits because on this day, the people of Israel were called to begin bringing their offerings of first fruits to the temple. The celebration centered around a Sabbath rest day and a holy convocation or gathering. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 had prophesied hundreds of years earlier in saying this, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet Isaiah says they would not hear. And so the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on this day of Pentecost is especially important to us because this is the birthday or the date of birth of the New Testament church. This is where it all began. This day marked the beginning of the very first church. The book of Acts church, the church of the book of Acts is the same church we call ourselves a part of. Many of you have heard this, but the book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have an ending. There's no amen at the end of it because we're still living the same experience that they experienced here some 2,000 years later. And as we ponder the question of the Holy Ghost being optional, I would point to the origin of the church. If we call ourselves the church and we wholeheartedly believe the same doctrine that the apostles believed, then we should experience the same supernatural power that they did. Or we wouldn't be able to call ourselves the church, right? We would be different from what they are. And so if the birth of the church began with and Holy Ghost experience, how much more should we also expect the same Holy Ghost experience? You put two and two together, right? It just makes sense. How can we expect something different than what they got? It just doesn't make sense to me. When you talk about it being optional, well, I got to point back to the origin. Well, what did they experience? Because I want to experience everything that they experienced. And if the Holy Ghost fell on them, then it should also fall on us. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15 that there were 120 people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the upper room in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you all. Actually, the Bible says it was about 120. But I don't know. Maybe it was closer to 118, you know. I know the writer was probably just one, two, three, carry the four, about 120. Maybe it was 125 people. I don't know. But the point I want to point out is that the number of people in the upper room didn't matter. Because Acts chapter 2 and 4, where we read earlier, tells us that every person in the room was filled. 
not a few, but all of them were filled and spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So as we talk about the Holy Ghost being an option, if the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost had everyone that was gathered together filled with the Holy Ghost, again, not some, not few, not just the disciples, but everyone who was in the room was filled with the Holy Ghost. Nobody was left out of the very first experience. And so as I asked the question, is the Holy Ghost optional? What makes you think it is? Why would you be led to believe it's an option at all when my Bible tells me they were all filled? Every person in the building was filled. Now, hopefully you already know the answer to the question, but no, the Holy Ghost is not an option. Mainly because, again, as we read in John 3, if you want to make it into the kingdom of God, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. When Jesus comes back for his people, when he comes back for you and me, he's going to be looking for a church. He's looking for the body of Christ. But what he's really looking for is those who are full of his spirit. If you don't have the spirit of God, then the Bible tells us you are none of his. That's some strong language right there. Romans 8 and 9 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, there it is. He is none of his. You skip down to verse 14 in that same chapter. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And verse 17 says, and if we're the children of God, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, then we may be also glorified together. Now, I hurried through those scriptures, and there's a whole lot to unpack there. But I just want to highlight that if you desire to be called a child of God, if you want to be an heir of God and everything that comes with the inheritance of God as being an heir, if you want to call yourself a joint heir with Christ, then you must have the Holy Ghost. It goes a step further and not just having the Holy Ghost, but you got to be led by the Holy Ghost. And if you want to stand in glory someday, if you want to see streets of gold, if you want to see gates of pearl, if you want to be standing with the angels and all of heaven crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, then you must have the Holy Ghost. It's not an option. Amen. So I want to end this morning by talking about the importance of the Holy Ghost. Is the Holy Ghost important? You bet sure believe that it is. Just like baptism, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, it's vital to every believer. Possessing the Spirit of God is the most important step or action that a believer can take or have. It proves very important. Not just saying that you have the Holy Ghost, but it's important that we are full of it every day that we live. And it's essential if we want to live in eternity with him. And you know, the Holy Ghost, the experience of getting the Holy Ghost 
It's a sacred experience. So much so that Jesus warned us in Mark 3 and 29 not to blaspheme. Don't speak evil against the Holy Ghost. It says, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Those are some strong words by the Lord. I don't ever want to speak evil against the Holy Ghost. We must reverence the Holy Ghost. There's something special about when we get together in this place and there's a deep moving of the spirit. Even, this is what amazes me when God begins to move. Even the children and the babies get quiet. Have you ever been in service and there's just a mighty move of God and it's just quiet, reverence? Unconsciously, even the children get quiet. They don't even know what's going on, but there's still a reverence there that the Holy Ghost is here. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but it's powerful. And we should and we should have a reverence for the Spirit of God every time we come together. Every time you experience the Holy Ghost, whether it's your first time or if it's your thousandth time speaking in other tongues, we should reverence that moment. We should be thankful for it. But God laid great stress upon the importance and the essentialness of the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And there are three basic, or actually I'm going to say, I think I changed my notes, four. Yep. Four basic. There are four basic and very important reasons for the Spirit of God to dwell in every Christian or believer. The first is very simple. We talked about it earlier. The Holy Ghost is important because it's necessary for salvation. We started off talking about salvation, the process, right, of saving a human being from their sin and the consequences of that sin. And Jesus tells us again in John 3 and verse 5, except a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. That if you want to make it in the kingdom of God, meaning if you want to make it to heaven, you must be baptized in Jesus' name, born of water, we talked about last week. And you must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost or be born of the Spirit. If you don't accomplish either of those, you're not born again. And Jesus says, not my words, but his words, you won't enter. And we've already gone over the need that we have to be saved, but there is no application. There is no redemption for our sin without the Holy Ghost working on the inside of us. The next reason the Holy Ghost is important is because it's the power of God at work in us. This power is not for worldly gain. It's not for us to say we're better than anybody else or that we have some type of ability or we're above someone else who doesn't have the Holy Ghost. But it's important to understand that this gift of the Holy Ghost brings with it supernatural power, power to overcome, power to stand for God in the midst of a circumstance, power to when God tells you no, you'll still say, okay, God, I trust you. Right? You need the Holy Ghost to keep you in those moments. All right? But the power, the Bible says it's dunamis power, dynamite power. 
That's the power that is associated with the Holy Ghost. And if there's any way for us to use that power for good of the kingdom of God, then we just need to look at the very first example in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost gives us power to be a witness. It gives us power when someone else witnesses what God has done in our life. Once you receive the Holy Ghost, you don't need to be afraid to share what God has done for you. You should proclaim the truth of God in love. Let Jesus speak through you as the Holy Ghost brings to you remembrance of everything that God has taught you, everything that God has put into you. It's the same thing that Peter got to experience on the day of Pentecost. All these people are around saying, what's going on? Peter's saying, hold up, this is my moment. God, speak through me. And I don't know if Peter really had the words that he really needed to say, but when they came out, they were exactly what you and I followed 2,000 years later. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He was bringing to remembrance those things that he grew up learning, that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. All that came to remembrance as the power of the Holy Ghost came through them. Real quickly, if you can stand with me as I go over the last two uh, blessings or benefits or how important it is for us to have the Holy Ghost. And real quickly, one, or I should say number three in this list, is that the Holy Ghost will lead us and guide us to all truth. John 16 and 13 says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you unto all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You may have heard this before, but the Holy Ghost will never contradict what we find in the word of God. If you want the truth, then get more of Jesus. When you have the Holy Ghost, Jesus living inside of you, you'll start to see things the way that God sees them. He'll lead you where truth is. And in fact, one verse prior to this, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 12 of that verse, I have a whole lot of things I want to say to you, but you're not ready to hear them. Some people want the truth, but without the Holy Ghost, they're not able to bear the truth. To guide us, it goes on to say, that's what the spirit of truth is for, to guide us, to take care of us, to lead us. The Holy Ghost was given to us so that we don't miss the right way to go. Just like the camp of Israel when they came out of Egypt was led in the wilderness by a spirit. Ooh, that's deep. By a pillar of cloud and fire. The same way the Holy Ghost wants to lead us and wants to guide us when we're in our wilderness. We don't know where to go, but the Holy Ghost does if we will just follow after him. All right. Similarly, I can go on and talk about how the Holy Ghost will guide what comes out of our mouth when we talk about speaking in tongues. It will lead us in what to say. That's deep too, right? Last thing I want to say as we close is that the Holy Ghost acts as a discerner and an intercessor. If you've ever prayed, there's power of praying in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 and 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
So as I close this morning, I've got two minutes. Hopefully I was able to convey a little bit in the scripture, and I've got many more notes. If you want them, come see me. I can share with you what what I put together or what the Lord gave me. But if you don't have the Holy Ghost today, I want to encourage you, don't leave here without it. Because all those things I spoke about, it's the power of God living on the inside of you. It will lead you towards all truth. Because sometimes in this world we walk, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to go. We don't even know how to act. Just look at our world. They don't know how to act. But the Holy Ghost is there to lead us and guide us and keep us when we don't know what to do. It will intercede for us. It's an advocate for us. Every time we pray, that Holy Ghost comes out. And it intercedes for us. It intercedes for others. And lastly, if there's no other reason to have it, it's so that one day I can stand on streets of gold and see God face to face. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we close today? Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the Holy Ghost, God. Thank you for the power, God, that is in the Holy Ghost, God. Thank you for supernatural power, God. Would you fill this place, God, with your power today, Lord? Let there be a mighty move of the Holy Ghost today, God, just like it was on the day of Pentecost, God. Let it sweep through this house as a a rushing mighty wind, God. God, let everybody, God, just like on the day of Pentecost, everybody in the house was full of the Holy Ghost, God. Don't let us leave here without you, Jesus. God, don't let us leave here without being full of your spirit, God. We can't afford, God, to be halfway full, God. We can't afford, God, to be just a little bit full, God, but let it overflow. Let that cup, God, overflow in us, God. Let it be like that, God, living water that's coming out of our belly, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, God. Would you clap your hands to me today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.